Deuteronomy chapter 1 today, beginning in verse number 22. We left off in verse 22 um, last week. We had a drop dead time. And when our drop dead time hit, we we called it a night. So I want to just quickly um, remind you guys where... uh, where, where we've been. We're, we're beginning the fifth book of Moses called the Deuteronomy, the last of Moses' five books that he writes in the Torah, or the Tanakh, and, and, or I'm sorry, the Torah. And here in the Torah, the, book, the word Deuteronomy means the second telling or the second law. And so it's a repeat. We did Genesis and Exodus. We skipped Numbers and Deuteronomy for now, or I'm sorry, Numbers and Leviticus for now, because it's the giving of the law, and, and Deuteronomy is a recap of, of, of some of the stories we've already heard. We missed a few of them in Numbers and Leviticus, but we um, will, some of them will seem very familiar to you. Now, again, the, the children of Israel, as I've said many times through all of our study, is, is, a, is an exact picture of Christian living on this side of the cross. And, and with the particular, these particular children of Israel, before they crossed over the Jordan, and when they cross over the Jordan River, every part of the pilgrimage of the children of Israel is a parallel to your Christian living. Egypt is a type of what? Come on, y'all. Egypt is a type of the world. And then crossing the, Re- or, I'm sorry, the, the, yeah, the Red Sea is, is salvation and leaving and then the wandering and um, crossing the Jordan is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that next level of Christian living. But that, that wandering period of the children of Israel with this group, the group that didn't go in, but the group that died there is very reminiscent of, of so many um, Christian lives that, that walk around the same mountain over and over again. And as you, you have to remember that these people basically are walking in circles. God kept their sandals so they didn't wear out for 40 years, but they were going nowhere. It was an 11-day journey, the Bible tells us, from where they crossed the Red Sea to where they crossed the Jordan River. And I don't know how it takes 40 years to go 11 days. But what happens in, the, in your life, and the Bible explains in the New Testament, is that Christian living is um, the growth that you have in Christ is up to each one of you. And, and, you know, we have a baby, Lydia and I have a baby now. And as long as we give her bottles and, you know, we feed her and, and, and for the most part, she's going to grow, right? She's going to start talking. We're gonna sp- we spent the last nine months trying to get her to talk and I'll spend the next 40 years trying to get her to shut up. But... Um, you know, we, she, she's going to grow. She's her, her body's going to grow. The things are going to grow and develop, but your Christian life is not, um, going to just naturally grow unless like the baby, you feed it, you take care of it. You, you, you put spiritual things into your life. And the reality is, you know, you, you, you might know Christians who have been Christians for a long time, but that are very, um, spiritually immature, right? Because, because they didn't spend time growing in the Word. And when I first became a Christian, um, I, I, I was being um, first brought in by a, a group that I think would fit this, this genre. And had been Christians a long time, loved Jesus, wonderful people, but, but just had not spent 20, 30 years that they were walking with Christ in a church, in a place where they read their Bible and prayed every day and where they grew. And, and so there was a lot of immaturity in their Christian faith. And in that group, God gave me a, a word as a young kid, which was maybe not helpful in the condition that I was in coming out of the world and pride and trying to grow. But there was a scripture out of the NIV in the Psalms. And then God says, there's a promise there. And God says, I'm going to give you an understanding that surpasses that of your elders. And, and it was specific for that group that, that was, that was raising me. And to this day, I love them. Wonderful. But just an example of, you know, you can walk with the Lord a long time as these children of Israel did. And this is a picture of what we, we don't want to do. 
We, we want to feed our spirit. We want to grow. We want to grow in Christ. And, you know, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament about growth is where, where God promises, where Jesus says that he's going to bless. Some are going to get 30, some are going to get 60, and some are going to get 100 fold. And I've always wondered, and for a long time I wondered, how does God decide who gets 30, who gets 60, and who gets 100? Does, does God have like a dice game he plays up in heaven? Does he, what does he do? Does he, does he just, you know, Ben's really pretty, so he gets 100. And, you know, me, I'm, I'm you know, not so much, so I get 30. Or, you know, what, how, how does it work? And, and, and yet it works very simply that you get what you want. You decide. God doesn't decide. John, John the Apostle, as I've shared many, many, many times, was closer to Jesus than the other 11 guys. But not because Jesus picked him out of a hat, but because John drew close to Jesus. And so you have the, the same potential that John, John the, the Revelator, John the Apostle did. This young man who just fell in love with Jesus. And, and there's nothing better we can do in our Christian life, really, than just fall in love with Jesus. And if we love Jesus, and if we're a people that loves Jesus, life's going to get good. So that, that's the, the, the children of Israel leaving um, Deuteronomy there. Let's pick it up in verse 22 where we left off last week. And it says, And every one of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, and let us... Am I going to start needing glasses? I hope not. That's my excuse for not knowing how to read, but... Let's, let's start again. Verse 22. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up out of the cities into which we shall come. And so we talked about last week that this is a new detail in the story that when Moses sent out the 12 spies, that it wasn't um, God's plan. It, it was the people's plan. They came to Moses and he said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And he sent out 12 spies. And we unpacked last study that, that, that God doesn't need 12 spies. In this particular case, he would have done much better with two spies that were on fire and had faith because they saw the same giants that the other 10 saw. And they came back and said what? They said, we can take these cities. We can take these giants. And, and Caleb, who was one of the 12, it says, in, it says in here and in, in, in the Bible, and we're going to get one of them here in a minute, it says that he wholly followed the Lord. That's why I named my son Caleb, because of this phrase that's repeated five times in the Bible about Caleb, that he wholly followed the Lord. You know what the other cool, really cool thing about Caleb and Joshua, Caleb particularly is? When Caleb got to the other side of the Jordan, he asked God for the, the, the land where the giants were. Like he didn't say, okay, Lord, I was faithful and now give me a break. I want, he said, no, Lord, I want the land where the giants are. You know, honestly, and, and I think that we here in Tooele, we're in the land where the giants are. I really believe that, you know, and I really feel blessed to be a part of the, the, the nation of Israel, so to speak, that, that is, is, is going to the, the place where the giants are. As I shared with you guys last week, um, my home church, by, by just, I'm so excited for them. I'm so blessed by them. But they're going to another place where there's giants, and they're going to they're gonna go attack that city as well. But we're headed to Dearborn, Michigan, where we're going to plant another work and another church there in, in another place where there's, where there's giants. You know, and we could go, again, we could go down to San Diego. We could go to places where there's hundreds of great, thriving Christian churches, and, and we could plant a church. But we, we want to go to the place where the giants are. And so cool thing about Caleb in verse 23 it says the plan pleased me me well oh Moses is telling him 
So I took 12, 12 of your men, one man of each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought back word to us saying, it is good land which the Lord our God is, is giving you. And so when it says they took some of the fruit back, you guys know that that's the story where they... Um, you, you'll see it sometimes in the biblical pictures where they um, where they have the, the two horses and um, there's a, a, a bar across the back or pole across the back of the horses and the grapes are large and they're reaching all the way to the ground and that that grapevine that is mentioned here to this day is the symbol of Israel and it always has been that that grapevine is a symbol it was on the temple doors that Solomon built from this picture here or or in that place and some of this again is repeated the actual story is found in um, another book and it says um, in verse 24 and they I'm sorry verse 25 they also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down and they brought back word to us saying it is good land which the Lord our God is giving us nevertheless you would not go up but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and you complained in your tents so the reason that the nation of Israel didn't go across the Jordan or didn't go into Canaan to take these giants um, the, the bottom line reason was a lack of faith everybody say lack of faith you know in our lives Again, uh, being a perfect picture, one of the areas where we're going to struggle the most in being obedient to what God's called us to do is a lack of faith. You know, the wonderful thing about just reading these places in the Old Testament, studying the Old Testament, and having these stories put in your heart is that hindsight is always twenty twenty. And one of the main purposes of all of these stories that are so far away, thousands of years old stories, they're all so that you and I can look at somebody's life and their plight and we can say, look, this is where Joshua was in a hole. This is where Joshua was um, being sold into slavery. This is where he was falsely being accused of rape. This is where he was being put in prison and and these trials that he went through. But this is where Joshua is being raised up to the the second most powerful person in the world and, and provide providing and and caring for and god did something amazing joseph who did i keep saying joseph 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 you guys knew i was talking about joseph story is it's hindsight is 2020 but what does that do the bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and so as we put those stories in us and we eat we eat we eat we read our bibles and pray every day it it so just changes our lives and sometimes we we look at these things and we read these things and we don't understand how these things are really changing our lives but the bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and so we put these things in we put these things in you know the word of god is described as the bread of life right and, when, and we've used this illustration before, and, and people tell me all the time, oh, I read my Bible, but I, I don't retain it. I don't remember what it says. I don't read very well. And, you know, it's just, it's not doing me any good. And I tell them, no, listen, it's doing you so much good, you don't even realize. Just read. Just read whether you remember what you read five minutes later or not. It's important that you put the bread of life in you. And it's like real bread, okay? I've asked you guys already a bunch of times, right? What, what did you guys have for dinner last Tuesday? Anybody? There was this one guy one time, and he was like one of those guys like, Monday is TV dinners, Tuesday is Salisbury steak, and it's the same. And I said, what did you have for dinner two Tuesdays ago? Salisbury steak. But um, we, we don't maybe necessarily remember what we ate for dinner two weeks ago, but I'll tell you this, you're here. Why are you here? 
because you ate two weeks ago, because you ate dinner last Tuesday night, and you put food in you, and, and it does something to you. It, it nourishes you. It, it changes your life. And so putting these stories, putting this Word of God, and they had lack of faith. They just, they, and unfortunately, they didn't have the Word of God. Whenever we walked a mile in their shoes, I'm not trying to be too hard on them, but it is definitely a lesson that God is giving so that we don't make the same mistake. Amen? And it says um, in verse 27, and you complained in your tents. Now, um, one of the things, just real quickly, they, they murmured, and we know that they were guilty, right? They were constantly guilty of murmuring to Moses. They, they were constantly guilty of complaining to Moses. But in this particular t- um, thing that Moses accuses them of is where were they complaining? Who were they talking to? And, well, they're talking to their themselves. They were talking to their wives. They were talking to their kids. They were, you know, and they were trying to be, you know, good about it, right? Now, I'm not going to go out in the city hall and in town into Moses. But once they got home, they began to grumble in their tents. And we, we, we can be guilty of that. I think there's just a little warning here that I want to point out to us is that, you know, and, and I've said this before, and I think the two degree, uh, some of it is true. And for Lydia and I, like, you know, she'll be telling me something, you know, that she's complaining or murmuring about or bothering her. And, you know, I'll try to fix her. And, you know, she'll say, well, if I can't tell you, who can I tell? You know, and then, and we say, yeah, among a husband and wife, we, we say things to each other that we don't say to anybody else. We, you know, wives get things off their chest to their husbands. But just be careful. Make sure you take it with a grain of salt. And that we're careful that we're not murmuring and complaining in our tents, even if we think it's just among our family, because there, there is God hears, right? And God, God is listening. And, and God says to the nation of Israel, you murmured in your tents. You murmured among yourselves and among your family. And here's the other thing. It's just a really important warning in church. We call it roast preacher. You can call it roast church. You can call it whatever it is. But you come to church, you smile, you do your thing, you, you know, you don't tell the whole world. But then you get home, you get in the car on the way home, and you start telling your husband or your wife in confidence with your kids in the back seat, what, you know, why the preacher's a, a turkey and why church is this way and that way. And, and then your kids drive home from church year after year after year listening to you complain about, about the preacher, about the church. And, and what do you think they're getting from that? What do you think it's developing in their hearts and in their lives? They're, they're going to they're gonna be bitter against the church. They're gonna, you're raising kids that are going to be bitter. And then not only that, within yourselves, there is a root of bitterness that fills when you're complaining and murmuring. And, and Paul said, do all things without murmuring and complaining. That's a tough one, right? Do all things. Yeah, you guys laugh like, yeah, all right. But, you know, you, you don't know my boss. If you knew my boss, Paul wouldn't have said that. But he knew your boss. I mean, he, he knew who he was and he says, yet do all things without murmuring and complaining. And there is a lesson for us as Christians that, you know, we, you know, Pastor Joe used to always say, you, you, um, give everybody else the sunshine and you give Jesus the rest. Because if you want to murmur or complain, you're allowed to murmur or complain to God. You can do that. If you want to talk to him from your heart, share with him what your heart is and be honest, then, then, then you can, you can work that out, hash that out with him. So the rest of verse 27 says, um, because the Lord hates us. Oh, pastor Chuck, you know, pastor Chuck, um, tells this funny story and he's he's talking about this verse and he says that, you know, that that's a pretty terrible accusation to say, right? They they said that, that in their hearts, they said, because the Lord hates us, that's why he wants us to do that. Have we ever felt that way before? 
you know, I hope we have never verbalized that, but that, I, I guess that's got to be something that we're on our guard for. And, and, and the motive, you think, oh, this is going so bad because God is mad or God hates me. Blasphemy, terrible, inconsistent with truth or with God's word. Chuck Smith tells a story and a guy was telling him and complaining about some things going on and, and it was a young man and Chuck told him, you better care for what you say about God or I'll slap you in the mouth as the pastor at Calvary Chapel. And he lived in a different day. Chuck tells another story, a true story, true story. And this is Pastor Chuck, right? He tells another story. There was a kid in Sunday school who was all kinds of trouble every week, running teachers off and just misbehaved. And so one day Sunday school started and the worship started. He snuck off into the Sunday school. He got that kid, took him outside, spanked him, (laughs) brought him back into the children's ministry and then went and preached his sermon. I would be in prison if I went and spanked one of your kids during worship, right? <clears throat> just just another day, but you know we don't we don't like to he- we don't like to hear people say those things about the Lord, and definitely that's 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 a pretty harsh claim because the Lord hates us, and, and really the farthest farthest thing from the truth in their situation, God did nothing but pour out His love, and because of their lack of faith, they they came to this conclusion, and they they actually said because God hates us, that's hardcore. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. You know what? If I'm being honest, I'm probably guilty of that at times. And maybe not in those words, the Lord hates us, but the heart is still the same. You know, I can remember telling Lydia going through certain spiritual battles here and struggles here that, you know, God's brought me here to die. And, 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 and think probably right off the pages of, of, of the Torah somewhere, you know, that, that God brought me to Utah to die. And Lydia's constantly telling me, you know, the Lord didn't bring you to Utah to die. And so, um, you know, it's kind of that same attitude that we got to battle and fight against. In verse 29, it says, Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. How many times does the Bible tell us not to be afraid? A lot. A lot. Someone said 365 times, or 366, I think it is. One for every day of the year and one for leap year. And so every day, of the, every day of your life, the Lord tells you, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Moses here adds the word terrified. Do not be terrified or afraid. God wouldn't tell us something 365 times if we weren't prone to be afraid and terrified. So step out and then love this verse. This was my, my, my uh, scripture verse for the men's retreat that I taught last month or last year this time. It says, then the Lord, your God, who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Isn't that just a powerful verse? He will fight for you. We sing a worship song. Our God will fight for us. Battle drums. Our God will fight for us. And, and really, every story, listen, every story, put this in your heart. Let, let this encourage your faith. Let this encourage your spiritual battles, your struggles. And in every battle, God fights for us. God fights for us. So many of them. Not everyone, but so many of them. God, all He does is He tests our faith and has us come to the spot, and then He does the rest. He actually does the fighting. He did the fighting for um, Joshua as they, as they went around Jericho. He did the fighting really for him in every battle, every battle he did, whether he used their hand or whether he just did it supernaturally as he did um, so many times. You know, you think of Gideon and, and Gideon had a, had, a, had a torch with a pot over the top of it 
and they, they yelled real loud and smashed the pots and the, the enemy began to fight themselves and destroyed themselves. And so many times, God, God just, and God eventually fights. As they get on and they cross the Jordan, they get into um, these battles, 60-something battles they're going to fight when they cross the Jordan with these giants in these cities. And, and, and they go in and they, they, the very first one is Jericho. They march around the city, attack Jericho. Then right after Jericho, God says the next one is Ai. And Ai is just a little tiny thing. And the men come to, to Moses and they, or Joshua and they say, hey, don't trouble the army. Just send a few men up to, to go up and just wipe these guys out real easy, you know. And so Joshua says, okay, good idea. And they go up and they get their butts kicked. And they're dying. And Joshua says, Lord, what's going on? And, Joshua, and the Lord says, Joshua, we have sin in the camp. And that's the story of Achan. And, and they find this guy who in Jericho stole some of the spoil and hid it under his tent. And, um, and so even in that little battle, if the Lord didn't fight for them, what was going to happen? They were going to lose. So even if you look at the next battle where the armies were big and there were giants and they had victory, the victory was still the Lord's. It was still God who did the fighting. Salvation is the same way, right? It's Jesus and what he did that saves us, not what we do, not our fight, not our, not, you can't even have credit. Like the Bible says that we're saved by faith, we're saved um, by faith and saved through grace. And, and even the faith that it took to receive the grace, God says in another place in the Bible, he gave you that faith. So you can't even take credit for that. You're out of luck. Our God will fight for us. He will fight for you. And in the wilderness, in verse 31, and in the wilderness where you saw how your God, how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the ways that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that you did not believe, and there's, there's the, the thing that I talked about, verse 32 is the, the kind of the summary. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God. They lacked faith. They didn't believe that God was going to show up and do it except for Joshua and Caleb who went in the way before you to search out the place before you to pitch your tents to show you the way you should go in the in the fire by night and the cloud by day and the lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good of the land which i swore to give to your fathers except caleb the son of jephna he shall see it and to him and his children i am giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the lord five times the bible tells us that about joseph i think i think we covered this last week but just really quickly um god gave um the promised land to who he said i'm going to give he said the land that i swore to abraham Isaac and Jacob, the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the land that God swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob was 300,000 square acres. And, and, and the land that they actually possess is 30,000, 10% of what God promised. It would have included most of the Middle East was the land that God had laid out. That was the nations of Israel, but because of their lack of faith, because of their, their misstep, they, they, they only ever possessed at their height. They only possessed 10% of it. And so they made decisions based on pros and cons, right? The, the cons were that there was giants in the land. And, and again, in your Christian life, so important that you don't ever make decisions based on pros and cons. When you come and you want advice from me about whether you should move or whether you should stay or whether you should take this job or take that job, you know, we're not going to get out the, the pros and cons of the other city, the other job. There's only one thing we're going to put on the scale of Christian living, and that is what is God's will for your life? We make this, what has God told you? You know, if somebody comes to you and asks you, the, 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 one, of the, one of the best answers you can have in Christian counseling for a brother or sister in the faith is to ask them this question. What did God say to you? 
What did God tell you? You know, there was this lady who called in the radio this week. Maybe some of you guys heard it. And her family's not Christian. And she's a Christian. And um, they're not going to go to Easter services. And they want her to go to lunch with them. And so she, she calls in the radio and she says, what do I do? Do I go to lunch with my, with my family and try to witness to them? Or do I make a stand and do I go to church on Sunday? And, and, and they gave her some this and that answers. But finally, the one guy got the answer right. And he said, besides this and that, he said, what has God told you? And that's always the right answer. What has God spoke to your heart? What has God told you about the situation? Did you pray and ask the Holy Spirit whether you're supposed to go to church or whether you're supposed to go to lunch with your family? And so um, if you want to know what she decided, stay tuned. I'm just kidding. Because I know you guys want to know, but sorry, I don't know. Um, in verse 37, it says, The Lord was angry with me for your sakes. Now Moses is blaming it on them. <laughs> the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. Even you shall not go in there. So what was the Lord angry with Moses for their sakes? Is that accurate? I don't, I don't really, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think that that's, that's really an accurate assumption of what uh, assessment of, of why God was mad. God was mad because Moses did what? He misrepresented the Lord to the people. And Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because God told him to speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock a second time and broke the symbolism. Because the rock is Jesus. And the first time the rock is smitten, Jesus died on a cross. But Jesus doesn't have to die on a cross every time someone gets saved or every time someone's sins are forgiven. Once and for all, sin and death were defeated upon the cross. And God poured all of the sins upon his son from Adam to, to eternity. On that one time, Jesus was smitten. And from that point forward, now when we want to get saved or we want to receive that forgiveness, Jesus doesn't die again. What happens? We ask by faith, and, and we're saved by grace um, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we ask by faith, we speak to the rock, we speak to Jesus, and we invite him to come into our lives. And that was the symbolism as the Old Testament is, is again, a picture as all symbols of, of, of New Testament living in this story. And Moses broke it. And if we, if we, I was going to go through, and, and we will, because it's going to come up a couple of times. It comes up at the end of the book. It's going to come up in chapter 3. We'll go through, and we'll go back to um, Numbers chapter 20, and we'll actually go through the story in, in exact detail. But basically, Moses is all kind of messed up in that day. He, 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 he goes to the people, and he says, Should we make water come out of this rock again? Well, hold on, Moses. When did we ever make water come out of a rock? First of all, you didn't make water come out of nothing. God made water come out of the rock. And then he was angry with the people. And God, and God told Moses very clearly, speak to the rock. And Moses went and he said, must I smite this rock a second time? And he hit the rock angrily. And the Lord showed up and said, Moses, you blew it. I didn't tell you to hit the rock. I told you to speak to the rock. And more importantly, you misrepresented me to the people. I'm not angry at the people. Which is kind of crazy. Because God should have been, could have been. We all would have been angry with the people. And, and, but it is a great picture of our God, of the God of grace. And, and it, it, it's, it's, it's what Moses did was he represented the God of religion. Because the God of religion is mad at you. And, and I talk to so many people that are under religious systems. And, and really when you, when you break down what their God, and one of the things I, it breaks my heart, is that their God is angry. Not only is he angry, he's petty. It, it, it's true. And when you really think it through... You know, the whole idea that, that a baptism doesn't count if, if a centimeter of your hair sticks out of the water. That's petty. 
That's, that's a God who's angry. That, that, that speaks, that breaks my heart. That, that that's a picture that we're going to represent of the God of heaven. That, that he watches a baptism and he, he discounts it if a quarter inch of your hair is sticking out of the, out of the, out of the water when you go down. That, that's not God. That's not the heart of God. And that's what Moses did. He misrepresented God that day. He misrepresented God to the people. And for that reason, he, as, he's, as he's recounting again in the second telling here, that why he, he's not going to get to go in. And verse 38 says, Joshua, the son of Nun, whom stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him. For he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So Moses is telling the people to encourage Joshua, much like they did not encourage Moses. Moses is a picture of our kind of the first pastoral figure in the Bible. And the people were not encouraging. And so here the people of God are told with the next leader, when God raises him up, make sure you encourage him. Encourage him in the Lord as he moves forward. And it says in verse 39, Moreover, your little ones, your children, who say who you say will be victims who today have no knowledge of good and evil. They shall go in there to them. I will give it and they shall possess it. Now, biblically, a couple things here real quick. Um, the Bible doesn't ever give a specific age. Um, in um, the end of Jonah, God is talking to Jonah and God says to Jonah, you, you want me to destroy the city, yet there are, um, I forget what the number is, 30,000 who don't know their right hand from their left. And that's the way God describes the age of these children. He doesn't say there's 30,000 children that are under the age of five or four or whatever age you learn left and right. I don't know which age you guys learned it. And mine was always hand on my heart. I knew how to put my right hand on my heart. And I knew my heart was on my left side. And so as a kid, if I, if I forgot, I always went like this. And then I know this is left and this is right. And to this day, I just kind of feel where my heart is. I know that's left side. And, um, but, but at what point do you learn that? And, and here he says... Um, that, that they don't distinguish between right and wrong. So it does bring up, and then the, the, the ones that got to go in, do you remember what age they were? God said, all those that are 20 years old and younger, they're going in. And here, speaking of this group, he says, they don't know good from evil. And so we talk about, in the, we talk about biblically the age of accountability. And, and, and we believe that, that children who die before the age of accountability that, that they're grandfathered in. And that, that's a deep discussion that I'm not getting into tonight because there's a scripture that says that they're, um, they're covered by the believing parents is what the Bible tells us, what Paul tells us. And so does that mean those that don't have believing parents are not covered? And that's where the discussion gets a little round and around and around. But we believe that, you know, babies. We know, for example, um, David, King David, when he had his affair with Bathsheba, they had a child and what happened? The child died. And remember remember the story? David gets in sackcloth and ashes, and for seven days he fasts and prays. And then they come in at the end of seven days, and they tell David, David, the child whom you've been praying for, he, he's dead. And David says, I, um, the child will not come back to me, but I will go to him. Where's David going to go to that child? In heaven. So the child was in heaven. David, um, Solomon speaking, um, recorded in the word, the child was in heaven. So that baby goes to heaven. But so, so at what age then does an innocent baby... Now, what if David's child, um, another one of David's child, children, grows up, rebels, doesn't walk with the Lord his whole life, never gets saved, and, and, and is he accountable for his actions? Or does he go to heaven because David was David? 
No, God has no grandchildren, right? So, so that's what the age of accountability is. When does that switch? When do we go from that innocent child to somebody who knows good and evil, and then God holds you responsible for your sins? And, and, and the Bible never gives us an age or a number. Here, I, I think sometimes maybe it might be a little bit older than what we think. In, in this particular case, it's 20 years old. In, 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 in Jewish culture, and even in the culture that Jesus grew up in, you know, we say that you become a man in the United States at what age? 18. 18, you can fight war. 21, you can buy a beer. Um, but you're a man right there, right? 18, 21. Okay? You become a man at 18. You grow up. Are 18-year-olds men? Not at all. In Jewish culture, you didn't become a man. You did, that their number for 18 was actually, you guys know what it was? It was 30, right? Because that's why Jesus had to wait 30 years and live a sinless life and follow the law of Moses to a T because the law and because of the law of Moses and because of the culture, you could not become a rabbi until you were a man and you didn't become a man until 30 years old. So at 30 years old, he, he became a man and then he could follow Jewish law, become a rabbi and, and begin his earthly ministry. So his earthly ministry from 30 to 33. So we, we don't really know what, where and what that age is. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll be shocked. Maybe it's a little bit older. But definitely the, the Bible does talk about that, you know, that, that idea that at some point God doesn't have any grandchildren, that we're all God's children and that we're responsible for our own actions. Verse 40 says, But as for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then you answered and said to me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And when every one of you had girded up girded on his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the mountain. And the Lord said to me, Tell them, Do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you, lest you be de- defeated before your enemies. So kind of a, a hard um, lesson. They finally said, okay, we'll go. We're ready. We're ready now. And what did God say? Sad. Sad. He said, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Told you to go. You didn't want to go. And now he said, okay, 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 we'll go. He says, don't go. It's too late. If you go, you're, you're going to get your butt kicked. And, and you know, just again, there, there are some, some, some harsher warnings that we should take to, to heart. That, that there does come that point where, where, you know, God may say, okay, that's, that's enough. And in verse 43, so I spoke to you, would not listen, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the mountain. And the Amorites who dwelt in the mountain came out against you and kicked your butts and drove you back from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days according to the days you spent there. Sad, sad situation. Sad situation I hope we learn from. You know, just broken, just broken. They they come back, they they go up, and they they they, they weep, and and they it's too late, and there's no victory, and then they come back, and God's like, I'm I'm done. Um, think we can finish chapter two? <laughs> yeah, that's what mine says too. But I just said kicked your butt. <laughs> but yeah, the bees chasing them. In, verse, in chapter 2, it says, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way, the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to me, and we, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. We talked about that last week. It's in the last one. You've been around this mountain enough times in your life. It's time to go northward. It's time to go up. It's time to, to have victory in your life. 
I can tell you how many times my wife has told me the same thing about you've been around this. How many times are we going to go around this same mountain? Let's have victory over this. Let's let's get to the other side. We're going around the same mountain, the same struggle with no victory. And God says to the people, you've been around this mountain enough times. It's time to go northward. And in verse 4, it says, And command the people, saying, You are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. Really quickly, um, um, God should have been, would have been, could have been, check this out, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Did that not blow you away? That's what Esau sold for a bowl, a lentil soup. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And 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 Jacob, as you guys know, he was the he was the skinny jeans wearing, you know, Martha Stewart type. And Esau was the smitty type that was an outdoorsman and was going to kill and hunt and live. And he comes home and, 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 and he says, give me a bowl of your soup. And he says, give me, give me your birthright for it. And he says, well, what's that to me? I'm starving. And he, and he sells his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Had he not done that, to this day, it would be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Crazy, crazy, crazy. We, we, we could unpack that story. That thing will preach, man. That, that is such a powerful story through there. But um, anyways, so, but God did make a promise to Esau. And he promised Esau a certain land. And God is going to keep his promise even to Esau. And Esau turns out to be not such a great example or character in the Bible, right? Because Esau did not wholly follow the Lord. And he made tons of mistakes and um, never really had a heart after God. But but the but the land that God gave to Esau, he, he you know he he said so as the nation of Israel are going to that way, God says, listen, you have the distant cousin here, Esau, and I gave him a land and I'm going to honor it. You're not even going to get as much as one foot in the land. And then I think he's going to go on and tell them they're going to have to pay for it. Verse six: You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness. These 40 years, as the Lord your God has been with you, you have lacked nothing. Do you guys lack anything? You know what? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God will provide all of your needs through Christ Jesus. Put that one on your fridge. The next time you want to call somebody and complain, go read it before you make that call. God will provide all of your needs in Christ Jesus. That word needs... Is not wants. That doesn't mean if you want a Lamborghini, God's going to provide it for you. Wrong church. You guys want a Lamborghini and that kind of faith, you got to go to a different church. Because you might find it there, but not here. Um, but, but God will provide all of your needs. And God does provide all of our needs. And, and, and here, the nation of Israel, these, and did, did, did these people deserve it? If anybody didn't deserve it, it was them. They were messed up people, man. They lacked faith. They failed. They blew it. But yet, in all of that, God provided. But there did come a time. You know, has the manna came down on heaven and provided for the nation of Israel for all that time? Do you realize there came a time where the manna stopped, right? 
And as they got on the other side of the Jordan, God said, okay, now it's time to, to get to work. And now it's time that I'm not going to spoon feed you anymore. It's time to grow. It's time to go out and gather for yourself. And this is the beginning lesson of, of what's about to come with the manna going to stop. And God says, listen, you're going to pay for that food. I, I, people are not going to give it to you because you're the, you're the children of Israel who crossed the Red Sea. You're still going to have to pay. And you know what? I, I just kind of parenthetically here for a minute, really quickly. And my clock is, is, is running down fast. But um, you guys are looking at it like, whoo-hoo, I like that new clock. Don't worry, I just ignore it anyways. But um, the, um, listen, 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 real quick. It's important. I think I've shared it before. But we, we have sometimes Christians a bad reputation in business. And, and, and here's why. Because you have a guy and he sits right here um, where Chris sits every week. And he owns a, 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 a garage in town that fixes cars. And you sit over there every week next to him. So you bring your broken down car to Chris's garage. And you expect because you're a Christian and he's a Christian that he's going to fix your car for free. You think, oh, but we all do it. And, and, and then Chris has different um, per, Christian after Christian after Christian. And the business dealings are terrible. Because they don't want to pay. They expect everything for free because they're Christians and they go to the same church that he's supposed to give them everything for free. And, 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 and then I have Christian business owners tell me, I hate doing business with Christians, especially Christians at our church because they're terrible to deal with. And they don't want to pay. And then they expect everything for free because they're Christians. Because I'm a Christian. Like, who can live? Who can survive? And, and, and so, again, just, just be careful. You know, and, and not that... You know, somebody in that business position can't bless you as a church member or want to bless you, you know, but 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 let let them bless when they want to bless and when God puts it and not be angry if they don't and not expect it. You go expecting to pay. You go expecting to 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 be honorable and do the right thing. And then if they say, hey, I'm going to give it to you half off or I'm going to give you a deal. Great. And if they don't, then then you you pay. And not only do you just pay, but then don't let it don't let it put a seed of bitterness in your heart because you they should have given you twenty percent off because you, you go to the same church. Amen. All right, sorry that that's parenthetical there. Let's let's move on. Um, so it goes on in, in um, basically with this lesson where God's saying, "Hey, listen, you're going to pay for this stuff." In verse six and in verse um, eight, it says, "And when we pass beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from." From Eloth and Israel, Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Really quickly, one kind of thing too, parenthetically, that, that, that kind of stands out to me here. When, when Esau was coming, um, and Jacob and Esau, and their two parties were coming together, who was scared? Jacob was so scared. He sent all of his, his, this hundreds and hundreds of sheep, and not whatever he sent in this gift to Jacob. And then he sent a second wave. And then he sent... Um, what was her name? Um, Leah. And then after he sent Leah, he sent the wife that he actually liked. And he sent her up. And so, like, you know, he was scared. But now all these years later, who, who's scared? Esau. It's, it's the descendants of Esau here in this part of the story. The, the things have changed and they saw the hand of God is with the nation of Israel. And they hear the stories and, the, and they're the ones that are afraid. So just, and then in verse, uh, let's go to 10. Or actually nine, nine, nine. The Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle. For I will not give any of their land as a possession because I has given a 
are to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So Esau has a possession. Lot even got a possession. And again, Lot wasn't the most admirable stand-up guy. But God honors his promises. And God honors his promise here to Lot. And he warns him in verse 10. It says, the Eminem the had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim. But the Moabites call them Eminem. Emim, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. Now rise, cross over this valley of Zered. So we crossed over the valley of Zered. And the time we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered was 38 years. Dang. Until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them, destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among them that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab. And when you came near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of possession, because I have given it to the descendants of the lot of possession. That was also regarded as a land against of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites call them Zamzumim. So the Zamzumim, a, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, who had destroyed the Horites from before them. And they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. And the Avim, who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kafarim, who came from the Kator, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Rise, take your journey, and cross over this river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hand Sihon, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and the land being and the land, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. This day I will begin to put the de- dread of fear of you upon the nation under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedamoth, the Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. Just the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar did for me until I crossed the Jordan, the land which the Lord our God is giving us. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as, as it is this day. And the Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sihon his hand over you, begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. And then Sihon and all of his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. And we took all his cities at that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, the little ones of every city, and we left none remaining. We took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took from Arior, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city of the ravine, as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. 
only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon anywhere along the river Jabbok or the city of the mountains where wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. Amen. These um, have you guys seen on Facebook or different places some of these recent um, discoveries of bones of giants? Has anyone seen that? So, um, you know, the Bible talks about a race of people that were literally giants. And in that king, that king that's described there in that chapter, there's another place where it says that he had a bed that was like 11 feet long. And it was like seven feet wide. You know, I mean, this guy's bed was so huge. I guess it was a king-sized bed because he was a king. And that must have been where, where the term comes from. But but the guy had, the guy was a giant. He was, you know... Nine, ten, Goliath. Best estimate using the, the you know the eighteen inches um, as a cubit between your your hand and your elbow or the inside of your hand and elbow about eighteen inches. Um, Goliath was nine feet six inches tall, and so um, all the people that were in these lands were were giants. There were a giant race of people that existed, and that we've you know if the Bible here's the cool thing if the Bible says that there was giants. And then archaeology discovers the bones of what? Giants. You know, it's just another thing. It's just, it's just all there. And everything the Bible says, every city the Bible has ever described, you can find it in history somewhere. You can find it in archaeology. Every coin that's, that's mentioned in the Bible, there's, there's a thing. Uh, there's a, a discovery, an archaeological dis- discovery. All the names of the people in the Bible are real people that antiquity and history proves that lived in the places where God says they lived because these are all real events. They're not stories that illustrate a truth. It's not a, a novel that, that God uses to teach us something. They're real events that are provable and, and that are, are, are there. Amen? All right, 831. Let's, 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 uh, let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, I thank you for, uh, the Lord, these wonderful people, God, who have come out on a Wednesday night, God, just to hear your word and to study the New Testament, to fellowship together. And Lord, we thank you that, that Deuteronomy is such a powerful book in the Bible. And Lord, maybe sometimes an overlooked book, an overlooked read. And, and yet, Lord, the, the stories, these history stories are, 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 are so powerful and so many things in them as we slow down and we think about the things that are there. We compare them to other places in the scripture. And Lord, we thank you for the picture that you gave, you gave us in the nation of Israel. And Lord, may we learn from their mistakes, God. Lord, may we, we not make and repeat the same mistakes they made and continuing to go around the same mountain over and over again. And because of a lack of faith, not stepping out. And because of a lack of faith, not receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we cross over the Jordan in this life. And we enter into places that there's giants in the land, God, spiritual giants that you've given us power over, God, that you've given us victory over. If we'll only step out in faith and believe what you said, God. And Lord, help us to believe, God. Help us, um, as the word says, to increase our faith and our belief. By Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as we put the word of God in our hearts. Lord, I pray for each one of us, God, that we would have a desire to read the Bible and pray every day, to love Jesus, God. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.